With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'll ask anybody's question but yours. You're an idiot. And really a disloyal person. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Disloyal Idiots, a Syracuse Orange podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. I'm Steve Haller, with you as always. Joining me as most times, Andy Pregler, and uh, as always, Christian Guzman. What's going on, guys? Remember back in the days when, you know, the problem with Syracuse is that Syracuse doesn't have a point guard, and now that the problem with Syracuse is we have two point guards? <laughs> problem? I don't know. I will never consider this a problem based on <laughs> roster construction over the last few years. So, if I, anyone, oh, fire away, Preggs. I was no, I was just gonna say uh, the weird thing is that in the span of getting rid of one crotchety old coach who's stuck in his ways and replacing him with a newer, more modernized coach, the roster has gone from a traditional college basketball roster that could very easily be weakened due to one recruiting mishap into something that is so much more dynamic and while confusing and harder to project probably has a higher upside I'm wow who could have ever foreseen that conclusion at the end of this road <laughs> my 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 if it is not the consequences of my own actions the funny thing is like you know Bayheim is actually literally fishing so hmm, true how are the turntables how the turntables uh for those that haven't figured it out right now this week's topic of conversation that will probably dominate most of this podcast uh judah mintz the star point guard for the syracuse basketball team from last season uh earlier in the offseason cycle declared that uh he was going to test the nba draft waters and uh see what was out there for him he then announced earlier this week literally hours before the deadline that he was not going to declare for the draft. He is going to return to Syracuse for his sophomore season. Uh, this is a little bit of a surprise just because uh, Mince was in the top 50 for most boards. Um, he was a consensus top 50 pick. Some people had him just outside the first round. Most draft rounds had him solidly in the middle of the second round. We've seen guys leave Syracuse for a lot less guaranteed than that. Um, and Mince ends up coming back with a lot of buzz positive. Um, I think that it's pretty obvious that he has some things that he has to work on. Shooting. It, I, there's the one thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but otherwise... Uh, Judah Mintz essentially rounds out the Syracuse roster unless something pretty dramatic happens. The rest of the roster is made up of players who have transferred into the program for the first uh, for the first time, players who are coming in as uh, new recruits, and a collection of players from last year who have made it clear that their intent was to return to Syracuse this season. So I think we're, from a roster churn standpoint, 
set and we know what the roster is as I furiously look up a any kind of tweet that talks about what the full roster is so that way we know at least the names that we're going to be listing out uh but Christian what are your thoughts like what were your initial thoughts when I know that we luckily in the Noons Magician Slack channel had been able to get a little bit of a head start on the Mint's return um what were what were your thoughts well, it obviously turns the Syracuse roster into less of a question mark. Um, the The big thing is that uh, the, there was a lot of question about the upside of the roster. And I think, especially after all the transfers came in, um, people were feeling a little less uh, nervous about how this first season without Bayheim, post-Bayheim era, uh, will go. Uh, but the return of Mantis is such a huge one because the dynamic playmaking that he brought last season was something that was refreshing to see from a Syracuse basketball perspective. It's something that we haven't seen a ball handler like him for quite a while. I mean, maybe Tyler Ennis is the last one you could go back to. And... As far as kind of like if we're going like for like in terms of a point guard comparison, that's probably him. And so, and many people know many people know what Ennis did with this team. Um, and Mintz, while obviously he couldn't do it by himself last year, there were still so many moments where Syracuse were in games because of him and his dynamic abilities on the court. And there was a fresh excitement around the program when he was on the court. And so to bring him back into the fold, um, I, I've used this word a lot this offseason. And it really, really stings true here. It brings a lot of stability to this Orange program. There's a lot less unknowns. And now you can more easily fold in the exciting transfers that have been brought into this program by Coach Autry. And... That alone makes Syracuse a very exciting prospect to watch for the first time in quite a while, because this is a this is one of those teams where I think Syracuse fans are going to expect them to make the tournament, and Syracuse hasn't had that luxury for the past th two or three years, so that is a. Uh, it should be a settling thing for Orange fans, and it, you could see it in the uh, social media reactions uh, to his decision. Steve, I think this is probably the first time that we've been doing this show where we are talking about a high-profile player making a choice to return to Syracuse on the basketball front. Uh, I think Mince, I, I think Christian kind of alluded to it, Mince is somebody who fits the mold of a stereotypical Syracuse point guard in a way that feels a little bit like a throwback. Um, just kind of curious as to your thoughts and reactions to having Mince back and what it kind of means for, for Autry to be able to pull in the class that he has pulled in. Because it's not just Mince. It's, it's J.J. Starling, who is hashtag coming home uh it's chance westry it's kyle cuff jr who is a transfer um it, there's it, it just feels like this has probably been the most optimistic offseason of any program in the last five years and that feels really weird and hyperbolic to say but also i don't think i'm wrong <laughs> no and it's weird you're right uh the 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 discourse around this team in the past months has shifted so much <laughs> from the the post postseason we don't know what's going on with Bayheim I mean yes almost immediately we figured it out but the <laughs> like the, the tail end of the season before the ACC tournament or whatever like we're on another down trajectory like things are not getting better we're losing uh, in our brains we're losing mints we're losing edwards we're losing everybody under the sun uh any talent is transferring out doom and gloom the apocalypse is here to we now raw talent wise have one of the better rosters we've seen in a long time 
all by like mining the transfer portal for players that Mac and Autry recruited when they were, you know, uh, high school. So, and, and, you know, yes, Starling came home. Westry was high on Cuse before he ended up flipping towards the end. Um, like there was a lot of, a lot of work that was done in that initial recruiting. I think that Autry was able to tap and say, Hey, you know, we had a lot, uh, we had a repertoire. Uh, yeah, we had a repertoire. We had a rapport back then. Um, you know, let's, if you're, if you're in the portal, let's go. Uh, so you go and add all this talent to a first year head coach who's going to change the style of play. We assume from everything we're hearing and all of a sudden, like from what had turned into a kind of slogging downtrodden, I don't know, first team to 50 wins. Um, it was either, <laughs> there's too many things that changed and I'm trying to beat around the bush and it's the bush you, I'm pretty sure you tried to tee me up on of, uh, I don't want to say it, but it looks by all accounts like James Arthur Bayheim, the way the program was being run was part of the issue, not James Arthur Bayheim as the coach, but where he was in modern basketball. And it doesn't seem like kids wanted to come play for him. And now that he's gone, all these kids are coming back. And that I was teeing you up for that, because I think (laughs) one of the things that we have to talk about, whether we want to or not, is Judah Mintz's comments on the return. Yes, Um, yes. That's so underrated. Yes. Like, listen, we have heard a lot of players say a lot of things here. I think that the number of times that we have like gone in depth on like random quotes about people around the program, like this is something that we do a lot. And a lot of people say a lot of things. This is the first time that a player said something without the fear of James Arthur Beheim hanging over him. And I mean, I love Judah because not just for what he does on the court, but he's always been pretty transparent with his thoughts in terms of quotes he's not always a good quote but he's always an honest quote um and the the statement that he there the quotes that he gave off i'm looking for the exact one i've got it it's um, here from uh dave mcmanaman from uh there you go yes uh of espn uh mids talked uh, with him after shortly after releasing his state uh decision to come back yes. uh the the there's a little bit of fluff at the top, but the bottom part is the most important one. Coach Beheim's resume speaks for itself, but Coach Red is the perfect man for the job. He knows the ins and outs of Syracuse and has new ideas and philosophy. I'm excited for this upcoming year, to say the least. Damning by fame, yeah. please. That is one way to put it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I, that, yeah, go for it, Andy, because... No, I just... We we joke about Dino Babers and Coach Speak all the time. Uh, Judah is clearly not hanging out with Dino because that was, like, there's a Coach Speak way of saying that, and then there's the yeah. Judah way of saying it, and Judah said it the Judah way. Um, I mean, hey, but I think this... The way that we want people to say it. <laughs> but I think this makes the most sense, though, because... Not, again, there's a lot around the Jesse Edwards situation that made sense about why Jesse left um, outside of the coaching staff. However, Jesse Edwards is a very particular type of basketball player. And Jesse Edwards was a type of player that fit the James Arthur Beheim type of basketball. And I feel like the fact that if you look at this roster... (laughs) And the center spot is a little bit lacking in terms of depth. Add in Judah's comments. Add in just the general names that we heard Syracuse going after in terms of the portal, in terms of recruiting. It sure as hell feels like this is going to be some sort of running gun positionless basketball um, moving forward. Which and, I am one very excited for. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fun. You know the scary thing? 
this team's a or this roster on paper is a significantly better zone team than exactly. Anything, I was about to say this. Anything that has been constructed by the zone guru. So so many people on Twitter have been so quick to point out, "Wow, this is an excellent zone roster." So but, much length, <laughs> but toss up right now whether Syracuse is actually going to run a zone or not. I I can't imagine like Red having been in the program as long as he has at least understands that he has to teach the kids the zone. Like there is a benefit to the zone and I, you two youngins don't remember the days. Apparently not. Apparently, apparently Bayheim taught Jimmy Butler a zone. And because you know, Miami has been running zone against Denver, (laughs) but you know, mixed success on that one. Well, you know, Um, but they like, Back in the day, the zone was what got thrown at teams to screw them up. It wasn't what was always trotted out there. It was a piece to the puzzle. And maybe Red brings that philosophy back of don't play like don't play the zone all the time. But in matchups where it's perfect or in uh, where it's going to give you an edge, then bust it out or bust it out for stretches and give the guys a bit of a blow. And I don't know. It's there's ways you can do it. You only have to go back to the late 2010s when in Syracuse Duke matchups, Coach K would throw out a zone for a couple of possessions. Mm -hmm. And that always tripped up Syracuse. I can distinctly remember in the 2018 Sweet 16, after Syracuse had beaten Michigan State um, in the the round of 32, um, when when Syracuse played Duke, Duke went to zone for a couple of possessions towards the end of the first half, and that's what allowed the Blue Devils to gain a bigger advantage and carry that momentum all the way to the rest of the game. Which, in itself, you would think they've seen a zone before. And I remember having that discussion. And also considering that Coach K learned the zone from Bayheim. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. Either way, I know. I remember when it happened, and we were all like, "Shouldn't they be relatively well versed in what they're seeing here?" Yeah, but uh, alas, that was not the case. Um, but yeah, I, I I think this weirdly has also upped the um, excitement level for the program in general. You wouldn't think that the the year after losing a legend that your program would have some of the most hype that we we've seen. Like I I've just anecdotally talk to people that are like excited about this. So. Yeah. I think that that's a good, Oh, sorry, Christian. Yeah. No, just uh, like you, like you probably were going to do Andy is touch on that point. There was probably a little bit of program fatigue with Bayheim. Um, And it's honestly a lot to do with just kind of how the, you know, world is kind of shifting right now with, I think there was a lot of new, younger basketball fans who just didn't gel with, you know, how Bayheim's coaching style was being uh, used to coach Syracuse basketball. Um, and he didn't show the same adaptations and style that, you know, Coach K and Roy Williams did towards the end of their careers. And so there was a little bit of fatigue of Bayheim staying stuck in the olden, his older ways. And... And while a lot of older Syracuse fans like that style and gravitate to that style and identify by that, by that style because it's something that's stuck around with the program for a long time, we saw it in the NBA and we saw it in college basketball. Teams that didn't adjust quickly to how the game was evolving were left behind. And the programs that took advantage of what was clearly becoming more efficient basketball are the ones that rose to the top. And Syracuse under Bayheim didn't adjust quick enough. And you saw that in the recruiting. That's where it took the biggest hit. And because Bayheim still wanted to recruit for a certain style, kids these days, and I've brought this up on the program before, haven't grown up to be Syracuse basketball players like in the early 2000s or the mid-2000s where it's more about, you know, defense and team and, you know, team offense. And in the newer style of basketball, 
you know, kids aren't going to come to a program where it's so clear that's what the philosophies are. But like Steve said, and like Andy said, this is a program now with just the recruits that have been brought in by Autry. It seems like it's evolving more into that modern positionless basketball Phoenix Suns seven seconds or less type of style. And that's a type of basketball that kids are not only growing up to play, but also are excited to play and are seeing getting played in the modern game of college basketball and in the NBA. And that's the type of program that kids want to go and play for. Yeah, And because Bayheim didn't play that style and was still more of a, we're going to sit back in this defense. This is the only defense you're going to learn. And on offense, it's eh, do what you want. I'm not really going to tell you what to do. It's not an attractive way to get the recruits that you want, that you inevitably want to get. I think the other part of this and about the Bayheim stuff specifically is that everyone was okay with the Bayheim shtick and the Bayheim system when he was winning. And I don't think that we can undersell how important Bayheim's system was in terms of being a results oriented system. Like you played the zone because of the results that it put on the team. You, you know, Bayheim system was all about putting the team in the best chance to win, not necessarily the best chance to develop the players into NBA guys or develop them into the best version of themselves. And the, the, the games that Syracuse played, the way that they played, was around the best chance of getting them a shot at making a run in March. And I think what we saw was once that results-oriented system stopped getting results, there was nothing really left of it to, to hold on to. Um, there was no process, there was no consistency there, and once that consistency was gone, that's when the rails really started coming off for both the fan base and for the team itself. And I think, and an, I think important, the- an important correlation to that also is when did that when did the results stop coming so consistently? 2014, yeah, I- 2015, which is when the game started to shift into the more modern era because like let's face it, the nexus point of all this modern basketball shifting is when the Warriors started winning championships. And once that became clear, that was one of the go-to, the, the clear go-to way to win basketball games now these days. And that's when programs started to shift. And you saw Syracuse not really shift with that time. And, you know, 2014-15 was really the start of that non-consistent winning. Yeah, I, 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 I just think it's... I mean, Steve, again... Steve is old. He's seen more basketball than we've seen. Um, I I think that the unceremonious end was pretty obvious to see that it was going to come in an awkward way. But I think it's also kind of obvious that Red has always been the right choice because of this. Like, in terms of the players that Syracuse was looking at to bring them into the modern era... I think out of the choices of Hop or Jerry, uh, Red was the guy that if you look at just stylistically at the way they played basketball, at the way they talk about basketball, he was always kind of the one that was most likely to evolve rather than maintain whatever it was that James Arthur Beheim did. Yeah, that sounds right. I, I mean, it's more and more becoming apparent that uh, you know, he he's going to mix it up. And the willingness to do that is probably going to keep things from, I don't want to say ending too harshly or it, like if the wheels fall off because he's not trying to do the same thing, yes, he's going to get crap for, oh yeah, you screwed everything up with the system, blah, blah, blah. But 
if I think it gives him the best chance to succeed. Like, like you guys have been saying the evolution of the modern game and being able to play a different style of basketball than we've seen in Syracuse for years, which I, I know that seems weird to want, but you know, if anybody has watched these games over the last couple of years and hasn't said, I wish we could do something different, then I don't know what you're watching. Uh, that is kind. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's of any of the assistants we've had over the years. Like you said, Hop was, if Hop came in, who knows? He could have switched, like switched things up. But more than likely, especially at that point in time, you don't break what isn't broken. No, you don't fix what isn't broken. There we go. We got there eventually. <laughs> um, so with the timing and the personnel and, you know, red wanting to stake his own claim, it should be, should be an interesting product we see out there. And I know Syracuse was never going to not promote or get a former assistant. Like it was always going to be hop red or, uh, McNamara. I personally would have loved to see Matt Langle. That would have been really fun. I think that would have been a really, really good hire. And into like, kind of like tee off like what Steve said like all you have to do is look at the last two times Syracuse has played Colgate and been like wow why can't Syracuse do that it seems like Syracuse should be able to do that and Matt Langle has done a great job at molding Colgate into that type of program yeah now maybe Red can do that here I mean not that exists you know what I mean um so why don't we do the crazy thing and look at the roster construction Yeah, and see what to do with it? Because with Judah back, we have this thing called depth. I don't know if you guys know what that is. We, we're, we're Syracuse fans, so I know it's confusing. Um, is that a word? Yeah. Can you, mean, look at a, can you go to dictionary.com right now and look at it? <laughs> it means something that Syracuse has never used before. Oh, um, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Uh, it's, it, not that not that my computer. Is, is it just like a dark spot in the central New York region? <laughs> <laughs> it's a black hole centered on Manly. Not not that you guys can can hear it uh, or that my computer volume is like playing outside of my headphones. But the minute that Steve said you guys might not know what depth is, my dog started snorting in her sleep immediately, making these like using snorting noises. That feedback. Perfect. Instant. Instant feedback. Um, yeah. So. I guess Andy's dog is the type of audience we cater to on this podcast. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Asleep and not paying attention. <laughs> yeah. That sounds weirdly uh, accurate. So. All right. The Syracuse men's basketball depth chart as written up by our friend Dominic uh, on nudesmagician.com. Gar, uh, he has it broken into three categories, which I actually kind of love them because I think that it's, again, going back to Christian's point about modern basketball, it fits pretty nicely. Um, there are at least four players in each category. And reminder, you can only play five on the court at one period of time. So we're already talking about 16 players uh, that in this depth, which is great. Centers and bigs, there's four. Naheem McLeod, a transfer. Uh, Mornir Hima, who is returning. William Patterson, who is the recruit. Um, and Peter Carey, who is returning. Uh, for the record, on the wings. For the record, you said the recruit. Because if anyone didn't realize or doesn't remember, there's literally one class of 23 players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. The recruit. <laughs> the recruit. The recruit. The fresh. Well, I was going to say. Are we done with the, are we, we're still, there's still some players who have COVID years, right? Like there's still. Yeah, his name is Joseph Gerard. (laughs) They're hanging around college basketball. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Freshman, true freshman, no weird bullshit COVID stuff. It's, he's a true, William Patterson is the true freshman. Yes. Um, It's it's side note, before, before we get too deep into this, when Andy gets to the guards, I just want everyone who's listening to this podcast and the people who are on this pod as well. Just imagine when Syracuse plays Clemson and George Ward has to go up against the backcourt that Syracuse currently has at its disposal. Things are different. Uh, for the record, uh, any just just for because it's funny. Um, 
Syracuse basketball players that this year would would be eligible were they still here for a COVID year. Oh God! Oh no! 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 The, so the class, uh, I, can't, I can't tell what year this would have been. Uh, yeah. Joe Girard, Jalen Carey, <laughs> Samir Torrance. Yep. Uh, big Bad Bob Braswell. Oh, oh, Big Bob Braswell. Quincy Garrier. Mm. Jesse. So, and then... Uh, Quincy's, Quincy's still out there. We can still add him. The Infinity Gauntlet has a Quincy-sized hole in it for... for, for no, didn't he, go, didn't he come to Illinois? I think he yeah, might have, yeah, actually. Yeah, Plus, uh, I don't. We don't actually have any spots left now, do we? I think we're at thirteen. I was gonna say. I think we're actually no. With uh, Judah, with Judah coming back, uh, that's the thirteenth scholarship. Yeah. Yep, we are at 13, 13 players. Yeah. So four. Yeah, in the three groups, there's four of each, except there's five forwards and wings, and so yeah, four times three is twelve. Plus one is is thirteen. I can math. Um. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, those are centers and bigs. Our forwards and wings, we're looking at all guys who are returning. So weirdly, this is the one group that didn't change. Uh, Chris Bell, Benny Williams, Malik Brown, Justin Taylor, Kadir Copeland. And out of the guards lead playmakers, one returning, Judah Mintz. The rest are all transfers, J.J. Starling, Chance Westry, Kyle Cuff Jr. Again, as Steve said, depth. My other brain goes, there's a lot of guys in this list who are really highly regarded. A lot of five and four stars on that list who very clearly have not lived up to five or four star potential yet. But, like, JJ, Cuff, Benny, Kadir, uh... Those are some guys I think have this. The ceiling is sky high. Westry also. Got, yeah. Yeah. Westry, another one who got to see where his knees at. But damn, this is probably the highest potential Syracuse roster has had since my freshman year, which would have been 2011, 2012 which is when they had those who weren't watching the who don't those who are listening and aren't watching the pod steve's eyes rolled back into his head so far back when andy mentioned his freshman year being yeah. 2011 2012 i had already which is a long time to, ago i had already been living back in syracuse for two years at that point yeah uh i've said, I've said my freshman year enough to know that to people that people know that's a fact I it's it's funny because <laughs> the crazy thing is is that while it, it's not that long ago, it's a, that was a long time ago, and I think that team is the only one where you if you looked at that roster and you looked at the recruiting rankings around them, like that that's the only one that I can think of in modern memory that actually holds a candle to this team, which is wild um, in the best way possible. And it shows, and again, that it shows you like again the start of the turn of modern basketball. Like the, like so many things, when you sit down and take a second to think about it, like we are doing on this podcast right now, a lot of things start to add up and make sense. Like the turn of modern basketball, the new styles that came apparent, kind of just flow with how Syracuse was just not ready or willing or both to adjust. Back to the death. Well, I was going to say for anyone, Andy's making this comparison for anyone who doesn't remember that team uh, because they're not, you know, uh, crazies like us. uh, That was the Michael Carter Williams, Deion Waiters, CJ Fair, Trevor Cooney, Scoop, by Musakita, Brandon Trish, Mookie Jones, Brandon Reese, Rakeem Christmas, Chris Joseph, James Sutherland, Fab Mello squad. Yeah, remember, this was Rakeem Christmas. And Fab Mello in like their first couple of years. Yeah. When they were still incredibly say, raw. Yeah. I was going to say that was Rakeem Christmas at who didn't play, but was a McDonald's all American, like not a scrub by any sense of the imagination, like one of the best players in the country. Um, and Michael Carter Williams was relegated to like coming off the bench every so often because you're pulling James Sutherland off the bench as your spark plug sixth guy. No, you were pulling Deion no, no, Waiters, Deion. the national 
sixth man of the year. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, f- a first round draft pick as the lottery sixth man. Pick. Yeah. Lottery yeah, he was a, a lottery pick coming off the bench. Yeah, but that starting five of Fab Mello, CJ Fair, Chris Joseph, Brandon Trish, Scoop. Like, think about that and then compare that to what we've what we might be looking at this year. And it, like, the, the like field. I mentioned that 2018 team. Yep. Let's go back to that 2018 team. Because remember that 2018 team where we didn't have that. Syracuse didn't have that same depth. And when Frank Howard fouled out of the Michigan State game, Brandon Bayer was the man who had to come on and replace oh, yeah. him for the last five minutes of the game. Wow. And yeah. they still somehow won. Um, but yeah, because, you know, it was. Zone, which again, a lot yeah. of like recurring topics on this podcast. I think I think one of the things that's just that's really hitting me here is that there's a lot of high variance guys on this team. Like I think we kind of hit on it. The center group is incredibly raw. Like McLeod was is a raw transfer. Uh, we saw what Hema was. Same with Peter Carey. Uh, William Patterson has long been regarded as a a project big uh, during his recruitment. So that's a group that obviously will see minutes, but to what extent, I'm not sure. And then you look at the forwards, and a guy like Benny had flashes of taking that next step, of showing that five-star potential, is... Red, the guy that can get it out of him consistently. Kadir was somebody who came in with a lot of hype and a lot of versatility, but hasn't really gotten any minutes. Like, what is he going to bring to this? We saw how versatile Chris Bell and Malik Brown and Justin Taylor could all be when put into certain spots. Like, are they going to continue to be that guy off the bench filling a role, or are they going to take a step forward and really try to fight for playing time here? Because then you look at the guards, and there is an argument to be had that outside of Judah Mintz, those three other guards could all fit in a lineup together in some way, shape, or form. And you're running out there four really long, shooty guards, which is wild, but not out of the realm of possibility. Well, and that's that's yeah. something when you look at that forwards uh, slot. Um, outside of Benny and Malik, think about it. Before these transfers started rolling in, what were we talking about? The moving other those three, guys to guards. Yeah, the other three moving to that guard spot because we needed the bodies there. So if you've got three guys playing in the wing that you think could have been guards, I'd assume that seems to bode well for what you were talking about with the uh, relatively positionless. Poli- yeah, can really yes. talk today. Um, positionless basketball. Which brings me to a question I want to throw to both of you. Oh boy! Because um, we, we we did a little roundtable, uh, the main basketball reporters uh, for noons after um, you know the day after new uh, Mintz dropped his announcement, and the very first question on that is a tough one. What's your projected starting five? Um. Well, I think Judah Mintz will be in there. <laughs> no, what makes you say? <laughs> It's like, yeah, my my brain is like, all right, I've got Judah and I've got Benny and three other people. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't I, know which I, ones, but there's three other ones that have got to go there. Right. Like I'm looking at, I think, I think the, I think the toughest part about this is going to be looking at the defensive, knowing the defensive style that Red's going to want to play. So, for example, Starling was one of the worst defensive-rated uh, guards in the ACC last season. Um, but if you look at the way Notre Dame plays defense, it's not exactly the way that we anticipate Red maybe playing at like a full up-tempo press consistently. And I think that there's there's a part of me that thinks that Red is really going to kind of revert to the type of defense that he played at Syracuse under Jim Beheim, which is when Jim Beheim was doing his best. Well, Jim Beheim was teaching Rick Pitino what a full court press could look like if you were in a full court press for 40 minutes. And 
to be honest, like looking at this roster, that's what kind of strikes me as the most likely outcome. And so if you're going to run an offense like that, you start with Mince as the point. You probably have Westry out there uh, starting alongside Mince. You run with Benny. And then you throw out Chris Bell and Malik Brown. And you have Justin Taylor and JJ and Cuff as like change of pace spelling guys. But like, that's like, there's no center on the court. So may- and maybe it's going to be entirely matchup. Dep- I don't know. This is, this is me literally talking in circles around the, I- around the basic idea of, I have no freaking idea. <laughs> well, I think part of, part of it too is, you know, we're not going to see practice. But yeah. how how do Judah and JJ coexist on the court? Could you hypothetically does, run a two point set and just have them? Say, how, yeah, how do Judah coexist with any of them? Yeah, and so that's in in the um, article in the roundtable. Um, I I said that I think it's a toss up between JJ and Westry for the final starting spot, and you could even throw Justin Taylor into that mix as well. Because I think with Mintz coming back and him locking down that starting point guard role, you almost need shooting in the uh, in the shooting guard role. Right. And so whoever turns out to be the better shooter between Starling, Westry, and Taylor, I think is the front row uh, has front row access to that starting guard spot. Just to throw out some of the other lineup combinations, the most common one was Mintz, Starling, Bell, Williams, and McCloyd. Um, that was from Kevin, Mike, and that was from Kevin, Dom, and from James. Um, Mike was the only other one who also threw out a uh, change instead of Benny Williams. He threw out Malik Brown. So the con- main consensus was from the the from the guys was that it's going to be Mince and JJ, Bell, and McCloyd, and then maybe maybe Brown gets in there instead of Benny, and then for me maybe. Westry or Taylor sneaks in, depending on if um, Autry wants more shooting. Yeah, I I probably would agree with the Judah JJ Bell Williams McLeod. Yeah, because it, it if nothing else, if if there's anything that Bayheim has taught us over the years, who you start doesn't really matter. <laughs> you can make a sub at that first whistle because mm-hmm. he often did, and yeah. if it's not working then roll something else out there. Got it. So you want Coleman? Yeah. Fat Mellow? Yep. The Hook. The OG was, the uh, yeah. You you had the Paul Harris uh, immediately in the doghouse. Mm-hmm. That was always a good one. So, but no, I think uh, if nothing else, Syracuse basketball is in a much better spot than where we thought we would be at the end of this season. It is one of, Steve, you said it off the top, the last few months have been probably the largest perspective shift I've seen in a single program in my time as a Syracuse fan. Like, I don't think any program on the Hill has gone through this. I don't think any professional team that I've followed closely has gone through a shift like this in a matter of months where they've gone from this, this whole thing is about ready to burn down to unbridled optimism uh so i guess the i guess the last question that i kind of want to end this on uh for both of you guys like what are the expectations now uh because i think that for me at least this team has gone from you know one of the acc teams because as we've seen the last few years you can just be one of those teams finish middle of the pack but not really be anything special because the acc is in a downward spiral right now to I'm I'm at the point where if the ACC is is what it is last year, where there's only a few teams at the top and everybody else is just in the middle, I think that Syracuse is a top four ACC team contending for the contending for the title uh, of the conference, which is an absolutely insane thing to say about a team with this much unknown and a new head coach. But I think that's where they've positioned themselves at at this point in time. So here's the wild thing. We we spent all this time talking about you know potential death, you know 
a new perspective on the program. And all the time, especially when it comes to this podcast and the site we're affiliated with, it comes back to one thing. Scheduling. Drink. Because, <laughs> like Andy said, this could be a team that, you know, if it wasn't for scheduling, could actually get away with like being one of those ACC teams that finishes in the middle of the pack and makes a tournament. But remember who Syracuse is going to play towards the end of November. That yeah. Maui Invitational is going to be brutal, especially for a team that has only had so much time to gel. And this will be one of the biggest first tasks of this new coaching staff. And by new coaching staff, I mean the one where Red is calling the shots. It is going to be really, really tough to set Syracuse up for a tournament bid if Maui flames out horrifically for Syracuse. And there's a lot of signs where it could. Now, with the transfers and mints coming back, less so. But you add the gauntlet of teams that you have to face in that Invitational. You have the random Oregon game in South Dakota, which... Still don't know why. Yes, it was, it was marketed by Autry as a great non-conference resume booster, which I'm not so sure it is. Hey, coach going to coach speak. Mm-hmm. It is another season... Where, a, where one of the major Syracuse athletic programs, a lot is going to be decided by scheduling. Yeah. And while I have a lot of faith, especially like that, with everyone coming back, I'm all for the faith that, yeah, Syracuse should make this tournament. That's what the expectation should be for this team. But that's my heart. That's my heart answer. My head answer is, Great, you have all this talent. Now, good luck going up against the teams you have to go up against in the non-conference schedule to make your life in the ACC that much easier. You're not wrong, Steve. I'm, I'm curious to, to, your, to your thoughts here. I don't know. <laughs> that wraps up now. I'm joking. Yeah, no, I, it's. <laughs> I know. I know we're supposed to, you know, talk about you know, speculation and superlatives and all that. But it's like, like Steve, before you go on, let's just remind everyone what the Maui Invitational Field is. Mm, yeah, good call. You have Shamnat in Syracuse. Yeah, that seems fine. Zaga, Kansas, Less Marquette, fine. Tennessee, UCLA, and Purdue. A Purdue team that also just got back Zach Eady. Not great, Bob. Not great at all. So we're guaranteed to play games against, what, three of them? And, and we're starting with yes. Chaminade? No, you, you oh, would we, hope we start with Chaminade. Oh, it's, no, it hasn't even been. Oh, uh, yeah. No, no, the bracket hasn't even been revealed. Knowing this bracket, Zaga is starting with Chaminade. Yeah, that sounds right. So we hope and pray for, I don't know, a meteor? Yeah. Like, uh, remember, remember, Kansas says Hunter Dickinson now. Yeah, about that. Remember how I said I don't know? Mm-hmm. Still don't know. Yeah. That, that I mean, will I... be the crux. What do you got, Briggs? I'm I'm just saying that I think my favorite, least favorite game that we're going to be playing is all fall. Syracuse football recap. Ten minutes deciphering some random Rothstein or Zag insider scoop about Syracuse basketball minutes or quote thing. Because this is really just going to feed the cycle all season. Because we know so little any piece of information is going to be overanalyzed here. 
And I really do think that Steve's answer is probably the right answer, which is don't know. And we won't know until they take the court for that first time. Yeah. But I mean, like I was, like I was kind of saying, like our whole thing is prognostication and like Mm -hmm. trying to come up with something for this, but it really, it's the first time in shit, 60 years that Syracuse fans don't know. It's the hope that kills you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we know that pretty darn well as a fan base, don't we? <laughs> so like that now there's now there's the hype. Now there's people like jumping on the train. We just as a fan base also need to make sure that we don't crash and burn if things are a little hiccupy with red to start off. Or if things don't go smooth as butter, that they don't, you know, people don't jump off the ship and abandon the program just because they didn't win a couple of games. So it's it's going to be, it, it's something we haven't experienced. And I know that's, uh, I, I decided to opt a little more philosophical and less like directly answering the question like Christian did, which I, at the same time, I I don't have a good answer to that. That's also partly why I let him answer and answer it well. But it's like, it's the hope that kills you is right. We're in such a weird spot with Syracuse basketball that we need to find find out where we are. So, I, and the only way we're going to do that is, I, I guess, playing against all those teams and getting the hell beat out of us. Is that that's the way it works? To quote the great internet philosophers, it is time for Syracuse basketball to fuck around and find out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, if, if, if the if the reports are to be believed, Syracuse basketball will indeed fuck around. The uh, I I do not believe that they are uh, going to do anything else. Except, because uh, the only way you're going to find out is to fuck around. And what happens when you fuck around, you find out. So Starts with a fiery death at the hands of Zach Eady. Yeah. Watch Syracuse wins that one and then struggles with Shamanad or something in the, the most hilarious format there. Uh, but I feel like this is a good place to end it, because even though there is other Syracuse news that happens, this is the offseason, we need to save some for later. Uh and we are running into dangerously close into Steve's uh, other podcast time, and I want to talk Spider-Verse. So thank you to everybody who listened to this wonderful Syracuse basketball pod. You finally got what you wanted. Uh, thank you for listening to us on the podcast player of your choice. Make sure that you like and subscribe in order for us to trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire. If you are watching this on Twitch, Thank you so much. We really appreciate the support of watching either the recorded or the live video. We do this most nights at Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. That might change over the summer now that we're in official off-season mode. Uh, and for those that are reading or listening to this on our friends at newsmedition.com, we continued the uh, we appreciate the continued support over there. Gentlemen, as we enter this brave new era of Syracuse basketball where there is hope, uh, there is only one thing that we can do, which is grit our teeth, smile, and go orange. <laughs> go orange. Go orange. <laughs>